You are listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these uninspired talks given by Michael McAllister, followed up by question and answer exchanges with groups of his students. Rilke has a great way of pointing out in his poetry how profound beauty can be if we are alive to it, if we are intimate with it. And one of his great quotes is, uh, For beauty is nothing but the beginning of terror, which we still are just able to endure. And we are so awed because it serenely disdains to annihilate us. I'll say that again. I just think this is so, so amazing. For beauty is nothing but the beginning of terror, which we still are just able to endure. And we are so awed because it serenely disdains to annihilate us. And it doesn't annihilate us because that in us which is true, which is real, which is good, is also beautiful. And beauty cannot annihilate itself. (laughs) That in us which is expansive rather than contracted really can't be touched, can't be quantified can't be qualified. It just is. It is the being itself. It is the deep singularity. It is is isness. I sound like Clinton, don't I? (laughs) You were good. Yeah. Depends what is is. No, it doesn't, because is is not dependent on anything. It just is. It is being itself. And that's what we are. We are beings. Coming from this place, coming from this recognition, coming from this fully honest approach towards living, uh, can miraculously allow us to see all things as half full instead of half empty. We, we become aware of nothing lacking. When we don't meet our life experience with a full and open mind and full and open heart that is oriented around stillness, we start to sense that there is lacking especially honesty. Honesty itself is what allows us to experience the stillness. Honesty and stillness are synonymous. And that may be hard for ego to really kind of grasp. Maybe that's good. Honesty, when we are there, fulfills us. When we lack honesty, we find that we are coming from a place of desire, of wanting, of craving. 
And craving comes from, again, not seeing the fullness of all things. So real honesty leads to a surrender in us. And this surrender in us leads to a peace. And this peace in us leads to a fearlessness. And fearlessness leads to wisdom. Activity from this place of wisdom is compassion. And that's the gift that we can give to the world. That's, that's what we, in essence, work toward. We work to embody that gift as a human being. So, how do we orient ourselves in this radical honesty? How do we get there? First, see things as they are. If you are feeling anger and you think, oh, wait, 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 no, I'm a practitioner. I should be feeling compassion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, that's what I'm feeling. That's compassion. That's compassion. Why am I gripping this knife as I cut this tomato? Just, you know, whatever. Recognize the anger. Feel the anger. Don't indulge it. Don't deny it. But feel it. Become intimate with anger if that's what you're feeling. What does that intimacy allow for? It allows for a space, actually, to be built between you and that feeling. That space between you and that feeling is the ground in which, I should say groundless ground, in which wisdom and compassion begin to just explode effortlessly, just like your awareness. Your awareness can move effortlessly. So can wisdom and compassion move effortlessly if we orient ourselves in a place of deep honesty, of radical honesty with what's really going on in our experience. Second, seeing things for what they are means also that it's important that we not try to modify anything, that we don't try to uh, uh, look at things as they are and then say, yeah, but it should be this way, it could be this way, it'd be nice if it was like this, maybe if I just, mm -hmm, then this would... That manipulation, that movement, like all movement, is ego. It's contraction. Allow, and then act. It's also important for us not to, in essence, dishonor or defile the present moment by being somewhere else. If we're washing our hair, of course, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> if you're... <laughs> I do wash my hair. It's just I, it, I can. My shampoo bills are so slight. It's wonderful. Uh, really wash your hair. What does the soap feel like? What does it smell like? What else is going on in that shower or that bath? Can you be right there with it? When you're eating, can you really eat? Such a, it's just such a miracle. Great food. 
you know, even when it's cooked poorly, it's just like, ah, oh, sustenance. You know, I got one more day. I can survive one more day. Plus there's more. And that more is just that it is beauty. And it serenely refrains from annihilating us. So don't let the small self take over the moment by being somewhere else. See if you can develop kind of a, a sense of big self in all that you do. This allows us to use the small self as a tool. And it's an amazing tool. Very, very helpful especially from this perspective of wisdom and compassion. So beware of that small self. Dishonesty will lead to it. It'll lead to uh, our identifying with things, with ideas, with convictions. It puts us in a place of absolute certainty. And as I keep yammering on, absolute certainty is the birth of violence, the birth of war. From that place, we are always threatened. We're always feeling threatened. And this work is really about getting beyond that place of feeling threatened, getting beyond and outside of the bunker of our minds. Again, it's not that our minds aren't wonderful. It's not that our egos aren't wonderful. It's that they are not the whole story. There's more. And for centuries now people have been pointing to that more and while people may get glimpses of it those gifts are born in time the glimpse is born in time and therefore it arises and then it also falls any enlightenment experience that you may have will arise oh wow and then it'll fall and go away because it is born in time and so our practice is actually what allows us to take what is born in time and dies back into the timeless, what is born from emptiness and dies back into emptiness, it allows us, practice allows us to literally connect with what's past birth and death, with what's past right and wrong, with what's past black and white, what's on the other side of mind, what's on the other side of time, and that then begins to source our lives. And this has nothing to do with passivity. There is nothing about this that is passive. Passivity would be an attachment to not doing. Okay? It's not that. It's not that we need to do anything. But it's also not not doing anything. That's where we fearlessly walk. We walk along that tightrope. It is very thin. And the ego starts out until it eventually realizes it's not even there, that the tightrope isn't even there. It's just an expression of inf the infinite. It's infinity seeing itself through our activity. 
That's the embodiment of awakening. And our life at that point becomes an ever-unfolding path of deep resonance and clarity. Beauty, pain, love, jealousy, tragedy, bliss. These are things that we open to rather than objects or constructs of mind or events that we shy away from. So we get to realize Rilke's point. We get to realize true beauty. We get to walk into the grocery store as true beauty. And how do we get here? How do we get to this place? By being still, not just sitting still, but being still as you move through the world. And as we become that stillness, fearlessness abounds because we are no longer evading or hiding from anything. We are exposed to the world, full Monty, out there with love, as love. Nice. Would you say we all have a system of beliefs? Yeah. And are those beliefs not made up of what we think is right and wrong? They are entirely made up of what we think is right and wrong. From our perspective, they are unequivocally right and wrong, yes. But there's more. Because what's right and wrong to you might only be partially right and partially wrong to me. Which means that there is a truth claim on your part and an alternate truth claim on my part. Both are equally valid. So when we get into this space of this is true and this is not true, it's all an orientation of mind until we break through that boundary and recognize, oh goodness, everybody's right. From that place, the up and down of right and wrong doesn't hold as much weight. It doesn't mean that all your belief systems that you've ever grown, grown up you know, around or with or through are wrong. It means that they're not the whole story that the whole story is something that is far more vast than our minds can conceive of, okay? In fact, it's our minds trying to conceive of truth that usually gets us into war. So the teaching points out that, you know what, those belief systems, you know, they're made up most likely from very valid sources, very valid experiences. You've been taught these things and you orient a life and build a life around these experiences and so forth. That's fine. But have the courage not to cling to those belief structures. Allow them to be next to your witnessing awareness, your full Monty of consciousness. Allow them to be right there 
and see what happens. Suddenly, truths that you may have adhered to very, very deeply for quite some time don't have the same weight. And you're, you allow yourself to not only let go of the truth that you thought was always very, very real and very, very potent, but you recognize how it's impotent, perhaps, in the face of new situations that you're facing. New situations that are arising, this, this truth that you've always, it's like, it's like trying to use a Phillips head screwdriver in a standard screw you know, slot. It doesn't work. But being intimate with that reality and not denying it, not hiding from it, not trying to force anything, allows us to see beyond what the screw is holding. I'm, I'm reminded in this moment of uh, our dog and a flashlight. This is the greatest way to save your energy and let the dog run itself wild before it goes to bed. <laughs> you, we shine the light out on the lawn and the dog at full clip chases that light, you know, around the lawn until it's ju she just drops, panting, you know, uncle, thank you. Oh my God, that was great. She chases the light, thinking that the light is real. That's how we live. We chase the reflection instead of recognizing the purity of the light and allowing that to inform another relationship with the light. I don't know if that metaphor works for you, no, but, but it, it's... It is good, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's very real to the mm -hmm. dog, it, but yet it's not. Right. Mm -hmm. I can see that. I'm just thinking that there are some things that I think... Um, cruelty, mm -hmm. child molesters, I mean, mm -hmm. is, is there room there for doubt that that isn't wrong? Actually, I would say that in the conventional world space, that is totally wrong. Conventional. Con in, this, in the real world. This world, okay. Molestation of any kind mm -hmm. is wrong. Mm -hmm. Cruelty of any kind is wrong, which is why you will find that these non-dual traditions, especially, you know, this one, that whatever tradition you really want to call this, what is the, what is the one commandment? There's only one. I mean, it's got 10 different names in, in Zen. Uh, it's got 108, depending on which. I mean, there are, actually, there are more than that. If you look, look in various parts of Buddhism, you can find all sorts of commandments. But there's really one. And that one is do not harm. Mm -hmm. From that place, you become a bodhisattva. From the not harming become a bodhisattva. Make sure you include your separate self-sense in that too. Don't harm your separate self-sense, but don't harm another thing. Okay? Is molestation harming? Of course it is. And it's judgmental to say that it is. Right? To say that it's harming? Mm -hmm. Is it judgmental or is that a discriminating awareness? And let me explain the difference. Judgmental is where I feel like I have an absolute truth. Okay? Child molestation is good for this because we can all look at that and go, okay, okay, wait, that, okay, right mm -hmm. there, right there. Okay? That's wrong. And from there, you can also see the suffering. From that clinging, you can see the suffering that develops within us. 
as we start to imagine that experience for the child. But don't be one-sided about that. Recognize what that experience must be like for the perpetrator also. And then suddenly we start to open a little bit. What hell must they be going through to do something like that? That's Can, compassion. That's compassion. Mm -hmm. And that's where we let go of our fixed view and open to the totality of the world's horror. And we just become beings that regard the cries of the world rather than beings that determine what should be done about everything in the world from a place that's behind a bunker of certitude. This allows for a facile openness. It allows for love. So it's not that certain belief structures, certain sacred truths to you are ever necessarily wrong. It's that your relationship to those belief structures, if they are contracted, can diminish your ability to see with clear intentionality. That clear intentionality, if it's not there, our responses tend to get muddled. And enlightenment is an appropriate response. It's a loving response that doesn't come from ego, but comes from an ego-less, uncontracted, loving openness. That's the whole story, but only in this moment. Hmm. But that answers my question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For right now. For re <laughs> Excellent. Very good. Very good. <laughs> As I sit here, I look up above your head, and there's a saying that says, cherish yesterday, dream tomorrow, live today. Mm -hmm. And while I understand that, if my confusion is if you spend much time cherishing yesterday or dreaming tomorrow, and that takes you out of being in the moment. Mm -hmm. and, and so our, again, our Western you know, belief system and tells us that those two things are good things. However, you know, yeah, our, our Eastern you know, teachings tell us the other. I mean, is, there, is, there, is there room for both? Sure. Again, I think it's our relationship to both. What is your personal relationship to that, that saying up there? I mean, if you attach to your dreams, Brad, you diminish anything that they could potentially give you, and you certainly diminish and violate the now. Okay? If, you're ch if the, the term cherish yesterday means that you covet it, you know, you don't you dare take these memories from me, whatever. If, if you're in that space, you diminish not only the memories, but you also just, you destroy the now. So I think where that saying falls flat, and by the way, I, it should be pointed out that I did not hang that saying. I, I am <laughs> I'm not in necessarily endorsing any of the things you see in this room, okay? <laughs> in, an, in an official way, at least. The real gift we have to give as human beings is an appreciation for our relationship to our past, our relationship to our future aspirations, and our relationship to the unquantifiably infinite now. 
that relationship is what determines all the varying degrees of awakening or sleep. If we hang on to our dreams, if we hang on to our memories, if we hang on to the now, we destroy all of it, or at least diminish it. Letting go of all of it allows each to dance separately and together all at once in this present moment for eternity. And being there for that is awakening. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Um, is that then done through awareness? One is aware. I mean, even if you were cherishing yesterday, you be, could be doing that in the now. Actually, you only could be doing it in the now. Right. It, everything is in the now. But mm -hmm. you could be aware of it happening in the present moment. Right. Okay. Yeah, and that's an awakened response. To? Your past. To the past. Right. And the same would apply to the uh, the future. Yeah, so if there's a future event, for instance, that you are really hoping for, the trick is, though, that that hope can really easily, that's a slippery, slippery slope. Because what happens is hope can take us right into, I want, right, right, I desire, okay? Right, it's a preference. Right. Preferences point us directly to our attachments. If you have a preference for one thing over another, boy, it, embrace that because that shows us exactly where we really want to lean. You know, cool, yeah. right? And so the same thing goes with our past. If there's a giant past orientation, okay? Right. If there's a wish, oh, if only I could recreate the relationship I had when we first got married, or whatever it happens to be. When when that right. type of stuff comes up, it is only ever experienced in the now. No, sure. But again. It's the relationship we have to the experience as it arises. Is it an experience that we cling to? Right. We, do we attach to it? Or do we rem remain open to it and thus bring total intimacy and merger with the emergent truth that comes from that meeting? Yeah. Thank you so much for coming, everybody.